Let's ask the big picture question. Are the Wolves still in line to be the first seed of the Western Conference? Should that even be their goal? Let's ask John Krasinski that here on the John Krasinski Show. This is part of TalkNorth.com. We're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Brandon Morton is our producer. Best way to listen to this show or any show you like at TalkNorth.com. Subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's the easiest way to listen. I also want to ask John about the offensive flow of this team. Even with their outstanding record, outstanding play, it feels like the offense completely disintegrates at times. Let's get into that as well. Uh, thanks to our many sponsors here, Aquarius Home Services, TSR Injury Law, my state farm agent, Tony Hoagland, and Head Flyer Brewing. All right, John, let's start with the biggest picture, picture question. This team is most of the way through the most difficult schedule portion of the schedule of the season. They've survived it pretty well. They're still in the number one seed slot. Uh, they have a game and half lead on the teams right behind them. Is the number one seed doable and how important is it? Well, it is doable for sure. Um, when you look at where they are in relative uh, comparison to the rest of the West, I, I still believe that there are flaws with all of these teams um, that there's no one team that is head and shoulders above the other. And that, and so when you're, when you, factor that into play you say yeah the wolves are right there they're in first place right now um maybe they have a trade that they can make uh going into the february deadline and that would help boost them just a little bit and they should be in that mix i think for most of the season now um do they need it no but it sure would help them because they do seem to have a much better um, you know, kind of just overall style of play, level of play at home than they do on the road. That's not unique to uh, to teams. I mean, most teams play better at home, but the the Wolves' defense is is markedly better at home. Their shot making is better at home, and so the more home games that they can secure for themselves in the playoffs, the better chance they have of advancing deeper into the playoffs. I. I still think, and I, you know, we said at the start of the season that um, being in the mix for home court advantage in the first round, so a top four seed, was should be the goal for this team, um, and they have exceeded that to this point. And so, um, I think you look at that part of it, and you say, "Oh, that, that that's an unmitigated success." But now that they have been in the first place seed for so long, you say, "Hey, they should get greedy. They should try and hold on to this." But um, and and so it's it's available. It's there for them. But they certainly have some things that they have to clean up if they want to hold on to it for the rest of the season. Oklahoma City and Denver are a game and a half back as we speak here on Tuesday morning, following the Wolves' loss at New York on on Monday. Which, I mean, listen, the Nuggets, they were absolutely dominant last year. They they won the championship going away. Is there any reason to think the Wolves can stay ahead of them? And and Oklahoma City is another team on the rise. I'm sure that the number one seed would be a, a nice, juicy target for them. Do the Nuggets, how much do the Nuggets even care about the first seed? Or do they care more just about getting to the playoffs healthy? Yeah, I think at this point in their development and in their timeline of things, they're definitely a team that is more just concerned with being healthy and playing the right way when the playoffs begin. You know, last season in was kind of their coming out party. And so they did want the number one seed. They're another team really, really good at home. 
Um, and, and so I think that they wanted to go after that and kind of announce themselves to the rest of the NBA that, hey, we are someone that you have to deal with. And so now with a championship around their waist, they are able to kind of approach the regular season with much more, um, you know, kind of sense of security about themselves. They know who they are. They know what they have to do to get ready for the playoffs. So I don't think the number one seed is quite the priority it was for, that it was for them last year. You just you have that kind of championship pedigree about you. And so they will operate and navigate the, the long regular season all with an eye of just being ready for the playoffs because they know everything that it takes. I think, you know, the Timberwolves are a little bit different because this is their coming out party. They're trying to both announce themselves to the rest of the league, but also position themselves um, as strongly as possible for the playoff run and getting as many home games as you can. And so that's, it's just a different sort of uh, circumstance around them because they're trying to do it for the first time here. So uh, I do think that Denver will certainly be in this mix the whole rest of the way, but they, you may see them at different times uh, operate where not every winning every game is not the be all and end all for them. It's making sure that their guys are in good state of mind and healthy enough so that when the playoffs begin, then they can put their foot on the gas. And you mentioned trades. You, you mentioned it briefly last week that, hey, this team could probably use one more pure shooter. Uh, do you see any trades that are worth speculating about at this moment, or is all that to be developed? You know, I think that from you know, talking to people around the league, and we saw the Knicks make a trade uh, just, you know, last week that brought in OG Ananobi into uh, and them, and that helped them out uh, in the win over the Wolves on Monday. But uh, bar, but aside from that deal, when you talk to executives and 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 agents around the league right now, it's been really quiet on the deal making front. Uh, generally, after the first of the year, you start to see chatter pick up, and then once we get closer to February is when real discussions and substantive talks kind of get going on it. Um, I do know that the Timberwolves are absolutely looking hard and exploring their options. This is not a, a front office right now that believes that all they have to do is stand pat and just get guys in a rhythm and that that will be enough for them. They are certainly exploring all of their options when it looks to upgrading the roster. They, you know, they're going to be open to the idea of, Maybe it's adding a shooter. Maybe it's adding a, a another point guard behind Mike Conley. Um, you know, maybe it's just adding a straight up scorer off the bench because Shake Milton has not done that for them. So they are out there absolutely making calls, trying to do their due diligence and see what options are available. I just think that as of right now, the market has yet to really establish itself and pick up who's available, who's not. You are hearing some sort, some names that are out there. Tyus Jones' name is being floated out there. Um, you know, there's probably going to be plenty of others that 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 teams can look at and 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 go after. But I think you're going to start to see in the next couple of weeks here, really a market start to take shape and formulate, and and teams know who they are, where they are, and what they can go get. And so I anticipate that's going that chatter is going to pick up here. You know, over the next 
10, 14 days. Well, the Tyus Jones name is intriguing for all kinds of reasons. It's also interesting to hear that name arise just as Jordan McLaughlin is starting to play well again. Uh, take us through that. Is Tyus Jones a possibility? Uh, would he be ideal? And could Jordan McLaughlin kind of take over that that bench role that Tyus would fill if they traded for him? Yeah, it's so it is an interesting situation for them. Tyus Jones, I believe, is uh, is a possibility. Um, for a team, for, for the Wolves, uh, the, the thing that makes it challenging to try and go get a Tyus Jones is that you know, the money that he makes, you would think might require putting Kyle Anderson into a deal or putting, you know, multiple, maybe it's um, Wendell Moore, Shake Milton and, um, you know, and, and, and several other pieces in a three for one type of a deal. And, and those those situations are are sometimes challenging. Uh, it you know if the Wizards are going to look for a surefire first round pick for him, uh, that might be tough for the for the Timberwolves to come up with as well. So getting to a deal that makes sense and works both for the Wolves and the Wizards to get Tyus Jones here is is not easy, but you can see the fit because I do think that you know Jones could come in and be the organizer and the consistent player in that second unit, that quarterback of the second unit when, um, you know, for Mike Conley. And so when you look at like what he brings to the table that way, as a table setter, as a guy who does not turn the ball over on a team that just keeps on turning the ball over, that would be fantastic. I think it would fit really well with what they, with what they need. Um, and, and, and I think they will look at either him or another point guard, uh, you know, on the open market to bring in as a young player who not only could stick around right now and finish out this season, but also be an eventual heir apparent to Mike Conley, you know, two, three years down the road for the starting job here. So Tyus checks all of those boxes, you know, you are correct, Jim, in, in kind of looking at does Jordan McLaughlin do a lot of the same things for less of a price than Tyus Jones does? He's He was terrific in the loss to New York, and I do think that he is forcing his way into the rotation by virtue of the way that he is playing in these situations that he gets, um, you know, uh, opportunities. But is he the type of player that, can really take big minutes, take 20 to 25 minutes, um, for, you know, in that situation, if you really want to even reduce the workload on Mike Conley even more. I think the Timberwolves have questions about that. Not necessarily me. I mean, I think we've seen him be very competitive and very effective in stretches, but there always seems to be kind of an in case of emergency break glass approach with Jordan McLaughlin. And that tells me that, you know, Chris Finch and 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 this staff likes Jordan McLaughlin, but doesn't love Jordan McLaughlin. And so uh, I, I think it's just an area that they are looking to upgrade unless, let's say, McLaughlin gets some real opportunities over the next five, seven games and and just takes it and runs with it. The bench is really interesting right now. We've seen them get great you know, stretches out of Troy Brown Jr. Uh, now we've seen Jordan McLaughlin get, get reintegrated. We've seen Shake Milton pretty much fall out of the rotation. Is this the normal ebb and 
flow of bench players in the NBA or, or how would you how would you assess their bench strength and, and where this is all headed right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that we, when we started the season, we figured, hey, this team is maybe 10 or 11 deep. And um, and and the, the, that depth is going to be a huge strength for them this season. We have seen moments where that's been the case. Troy Brown's won a couple of games for them, the Oklahoma City game at home. You know, be kind of standing out in my mind as a game where he came in and just really played well, gave them what they needed. Um, McLaughlin has had his moments here or there. Milton has not played well at all, but they, I, I don't think it's unique for that ninth guy in the rotation to sort of be a revolving door, depending on matchups, depending on who has it going. I, you know, there's not a lot of teams out there that have a, you know, really rock solid four man group coming off of the bench and that just stays the same the whole time that 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 last spot always kind of rotates a little bit so that's not unique for the wolves but what i do think is um bringing down the reliability of that second unit a little bit more is that they uh kyle anderson from an offensive standpoint has been nowhere close to what he was last year um, he shot 41% last year from three. It's 12 and a half percent right now. And he just is passing up open shots on the perimeter because he should pass them up because he just can't, um, make, you know, he just can't knock those shots down. Um, and, and that is limiting. And then Nas Reed has been sort of peaks and valleys a little bit on, against the Knicks. He was very quiet and r- largely ineffective, but he's been gr- gr- just great in other games. And then the other piece that if, if Shake Milton had been what they thought he was going to be, then that would have changed the outlook overall of that second unit just in a major way because he would have been the reliable scoring option off of the bench. And he's just been darn near unplayable. And so there are there are there have been games this year where the second unit's been great. There have been games where it's not, including against New York. On Monday, and so I do think that the Wolves wish that they that that would be more con- consistent, and they wish that they'd be a little bit more reliable. And the both the Shake Milton disappearance and Kyle Anderson's offensive regression have done a lot to prevent that second unit from being more effective game in and game out. Let's ask John what it would take to get Tyus Jones here. Let's also get into what could improve just the offensive flow of the players they do already have right now. Uh, first, I want to let you know we're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services. Also want to thank longtime sponsor of the John Krasinski Show, TSR Injury Law. They were sponsoring it back when it was the You Betcha Basketball Show, when this thing first started up. Uh, Steve Terry and his team have been great to us. If you ever need their help, they will be great to you. Just remember, if you're ever injured, First call, 612-TSR-TIME, 612-TSR-TIME. They will not charge you unless they win your case, and they win lots of cases. That's why they're such a great Minnesota success story. That's why you see their names and faces everywhere. I also want to let you know that uh, I've been working with Tony Hoagland uh, at State Farm for a very long time, still working with him. Tony Hoagland, H-O-A-G-L-U-N-D. 
This is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. Here's the deal. When you combine State Farm home and auto insurance, you save an average of $889 a year. My agency is ready to help you combine home and auto and start saving today. Call 763-421-4900 to start saving. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And finally, let's hear from John on Head Flyer Brewing. Head Flyer Brewing, Northeast Minneapolis, right on Hennepin Avenue, just uh, close to the 35W exit. Um, they have, they had a great new year's ringing in the, the new year with the Timberwolves on the TV. It wasn't a great, uh, result in the game, but, uh, brought in a bunch of crowds. They are trying to pack the house, uh, for Wolves games. They have drink specials, they have food, but most of all, they have just really great beer. So if you want to come in and, and, you know, have a great environment, great atmosphere, be around some other Wolves fans as you watch the games on their flat screen TVs. And just have yourself a great beer, a great seltzer. Head Flyer Brewing is the place to be. Uh, they just keep an eye on on some specials that are coming up in January. They have their Instagram account, Head Flyer Brew. Watch that for posts on uh, on on musical acts, on on food trucks, on on drink specials. And when you go in, tell them John Krasinski and the John Krasinski Show sent you, and they will give you. A warm welcome with open arms because I've been going there forever and ever, even before we had a business relationship. Head Flyer Brewing, Northeast Minneapolis. Go in and check them out. Yes, thanks to Head Flyer. Thanks to all of our sponsors. And thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. Happy New Year. We do appreciate you all listening. Uh, and it's going to be a fascinating season here. So obviously you, talk, you talked about the contract parameters with Tyus. What do you think it would take in terms of assets to trade for him? So that that the question that will have to be established here uh, over the next couple of weeks is like we have seen now that um, the the Wizards have really struggled as expected. They are in a rebuild, and so th- they're putting a lot of their non foundational players up for up for availability. So Tyus Jones has now become available. It's sort of out there in the NBA ecosphere that hey you can come and get Tyus Jones if you want to now but what we don't know yet is what is Michael Winger the new head of basketball operations for the Wizards what's his asking price going to be Uh, clearly it's a team that is probably focused on the future and acquiring assets that will help them draft pick compensation you know uh, expiring contracts and things of that nature um, or good young players. But at the same time, Tyus Jones's value is probably a little bit depressed, just given that he has had a starting spot on a team that is losing a ton of games. And so, um, you know, he's not, he has not solidified or had an unbelievable season that would cause a bunch of teams to just splash the pot for him. So my guess is if you could give them, you know, a, a heavily protected first round pick or maybe even some decent second round picks and some salary cap relief that would at least get you in the game with Tyus Jones. So, um, you know, shake Milton's contract is, is, is very minimal. Um, Wendell Moore is a young player who has not materialized as a future rotation piece for Minnesota, but maybe, the wizards would like to take a look at him and see if there's something else that they can uncover for him. Um, you know, then you look at, uh, Troy Brown jr is another one. They, the, the wolves have a bunch of 
sort of kind of really in contracts in that four to five million dollar range that they could cobble together to meet Tyus Jones's uh, salary matching requirements. And then you know, the one thing that that you wonder about is would would Kyle Anderson have to be involved and, and maybe the Wizards could kind of repurpose him and send him somewhere else to get more draft pick compensation their way? Because you'd hate to send a player as valuable as Kyle Anderson and as a, a, as good as he's been for them to the Washington Wizards to finish out this season. Like you just wouldn't want to do that. Um, and so maybe you could get a third team in, reroute him somewhere else and um, and, and make this whole deal work. Um but the Wolves will have to make the decision on whether they want to keep Kyle or not. Chris Finch has been firmly in Kyle's corner this whole time. Uh, he does not want to give up on him. He trusts Kyle Anderson to an immeasurable degree. And so do you stick with Kyle through these offensive struggles, through these shooting struggles, and hope that he sort of bounces out of his offensive slump and 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 can contribute more on that end? Or because he is an expiring contract, you try to get something for him uh, before you lose him for nothing this summer in free agency. That's a it's a very difficult decision that the Timberwolves have to make. I'm glad I don't have to make it right now because he is so valuable from a leadership standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, is still very important for this group. And so that's going to be a tough decision that they have to make as the deadline gets closer. Yeah, who would do those things for this team if he weren't here? Obviously, they, they might yeah. Im- they might improve offensively, especially in terms of sheer shooting percentage. If he's gone, could they make up for his his strengths and what you'd lose in a trade of him in other ways? That's that's the big question, Jim. Because um, you know there have last season, especially Kyle Anderson was sort of Chris Finch's safety blanket in terms of fourth quarters, tight games. He was out there essentially running point guard sometimes, uh, making great decisions, knocking down shots, getting players uh, good shots themselves, and and really making the offense and defense flow. Um, but then especially defensively, he is a big body, but uh, but someone who is equipped to guard in a different style than their other three bigs, Rudy, Cat, uh, and Nas. And so during the games where the two big front court is not working, is not as effective, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a team goes smaller or, or maybe it's like, like uh, Monday where Julius Randle's just going off against Towns and Nas and, and Rudy, and they just don't have any other answers defensively. Chris Finch can go, to Kyle Anderson from a defensive standpoint and say, Hey, give us a shot here and do what I do what we can to get us back in this game. And, and so he's sort of a, a pivot for the Timberwolves when the ultra big ball is not working. And so if you take him out of the equation, the, it's it's hard to see who becomes that defensive front court stopper against smaller teams um, that uh, that that you need from him. Now, maybe down the road, maybe next year, or the or, or in the years in the in the future, maybe Leonard Miller becomes that guy. But he's not ready for that yet. He's just playing in the G League, and you don't want to thrust a rookie, a raw rookie, into 
those kinds of minutes, you know, when you're in the first place in the Western Con- in, in the Western Conference. So um, he he is so unique and what he brings to the table is so important that I do think that it will be very difficult for the Wolves to trade him and not get someone in that sort of three, four mold back. If they trade him and get a point guard back, it certainly helps their offense and, and plugs one hole, but it might create another for them. Interesting. Uh, one fascinating aspect of this season is they have the number one seed right now. And I don't feel like their offense has gotten into any reliable flow yet. Uh, they've been productive enough. Uh, they have star talent. They have guys who can make shots. They've made big shots. They've had good offensive games, but it, it still feels like to me that, like they haven't settled into, you know, that classic Finch flowing offense where the ball just moves constantly. Yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been really, really interesting to watch because like from you're right from an eye test perspective, Jim, I totally agree with you. There are certainly longer bouts of stagnancy in the offense. It seems like really, especially over the last week or two, uh, we are seeing more and more one on one play from Anthony Edwards and and going to the rim, you know, pulling up for jumpers. He's been really good from a scoring standpoint. Uh, but from a just overall aesthetically pleasing style of basketball for the offense, it hasn't been there. Now, here's the to me one of the really interesting things. Right now, they are fifth in the NBA in field goal percentage. They are hitting almost forty nine percent of their shots. Only the Pacers, Bucks, Thunder, and Nuggets, all unbelievable offenses, are ahead of them in that category. You switch to three point percentage, just percentage. They're fifth in the NBA in three-point percentage as well. Only the Thunder, Pacers, Heat, and Bucks are better than them from a percentage standpoint when it comes to three-point shooting. So when you look at the ingredients that they have for good offense, it's there. They're making shots. We have seen Timberwolves offenses of the past where they just cannot make shots. They cannot make enough shots, and and it's brick lane, and how do you kind of go from possession to possession and get the ball in the hole? The Wolves can do that. The main thing that is absolutely destroying their offensive flow, um, all of their creating so many of their issues, is they're 28th in the league in turnovers. They're averaging 15.6 per game, um, and that is limiting the number of possessions that they have against New York. The Knicks took 13 more shots than the Wolves. They shot Knicks shot a worse percentage, um, but it's because they crushed the Wolves on the offensive glass to create possessions. And there was that second quarter, that disastrous second quarter where the Wolves had seven turnovers in the period to let the game get totally away from them. That's what's killing them. And so they have to find a way to cut the turnovers down by a in by an enormous margin because when they do not turn the ball over their offense really does click at a very high rate but they just make dumb decisions they take poor shots they 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 just give the ball to the other team for in in live ball turnovers that turn into easy bucks buckets in transition and the carelessness is what's killing them more so than their ability to generate good looks and their ability to make 
shots when they do generate them. So that's that's the the recipe going forward. They've been talking about it all season long, and it really has not changed much. But if they can find a way to stop the bleeding from a turnover perspective, I really do think you're going to see the offense just really ascend up the efficiency rankings. So we've always heard that Miami has a great home field advantage, home court advantage, because NBA players love to go out on South Beach the night before games there. Uh, The Timberwolves just played a New Year's Day game, (laughs) afternoon game at Madison Square Garden after the players at least had the ability to go out in New York City on, on New Year's Eve. Is that still a thing in the NBA? I feel like in so many professional sports, we've we, you know, I covered baseball for a long time, and you know you just knew that some days half the team is going to have a hangover. Uh, but I feel like that doesn't really happen as often anymore. I think the modern athlete is is probably more dedicated, more careful about those things. Is parting the night before a game still a thing in the NBA, as far as you know? I, I mean, I think it is. Yeah, Jim. Um, is it to the degree that it was back in the day? Yeah, I don't think so at all. Um, but in certain spots, you know, New York, L.A., Miami, Toronto is a big nightlife town. There, there are several that uh, Houston is a big nightlife town. Uh, th- I think there are several places where players do go out and, you know, you might see a little sluggishness the next game from them. I'm not saying that's what happened with the Wolves uh, on, on New Year's Day, but you could, because they came out and they played great in the first quarter, so they weren't like sort of like sleepwalking through it early. They were up nine points. Everything was going really well. Maybe they did lose a little steam if, if some of the guys were out later at night and having an afternoon tip-off. That could have, that could have been a factor. Uh, I think that less... My impression is that it's less that players are are out late at night partying, drinking, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, it still happens, but not to that degree. But I do think that when you talk to people about how these younger players operate, a lot of them are up very, very late at night playing video games. Yep. And, and, and that is, you know, so that comes into questions. Are you getting the proper rest for games um, the next day when you're up till four in the morning, five in the morning, playing video games and like kind of melting your brain doing it that way. Um, I think that that can be as sort of damaging as going out and drinking and or or hanging out with a bunch of people or 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 or, or whatever, because it just really just drains your body of energy. And and so um, that is a that is a consistent thing that I hear from from teams, not just the Wolves, from but all over the league, about how do you get players to understand that they need more rest than um, than they are getting? And again, I don't know if that was a direct correlation to the game against the Knicks, but it's certainly something that that you hear come up very often in talks about why players are not getting rest, and a lot of it is they love to stay up playing Call of Duty. And 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 talking trash on the video game till all hours of the night. Let's get a final thought from John. Please check out Dawn of Sports with Don Mitchell, or one of our newer shows at TalkNorth.com. You can also hear John on the Viking Update Show, which has been fascinating this season with the ups and downs of the Vikings. Of course, we have a great sports lineup. We have excellent outdoor content, variety content at TalkNorth.com. 
Check out talknorth.com, subscribe to the shows you like, and we do appreciate it. Final thought from John today. Yeah, it's, so we are getting toward the end of this 16-game gauntlet that the Wolves are on in this portion of their schedule right now. They are 7-4 and four in those games. So, so far, you'll actually take it pretty good um, for, for, for the, the portion of the schedule that they're in. But now is where it gets really difficult for them. Uh, you have New Orleans at home on Wednesday, then a tough, tough four-game road trip. Houston, Dallas, and a back-to-back Orlando-Boston. So what we have seen over the last, you know, now 10 days or so is certainly some slippage from the Wolves, both offensively and defensively. And if they don't find ways to shore up some of that stuff, uh, you might see the first real losing streak of the season coming here. Again, it, you know, for for Wolves fans who are biting their fingernails, every single team has losing streaks during a season. Boston has had it, Denver has had it. If the if this comes for the Wolves, it does not mean that the that the that the Earth is just is coming to an end, and that all of this run is going to be for naught. But they are in a bit of a funk right now, and they have to to play sharper to not sort of go underwater in these last five games of this stretch. And I think it's very interesting. We are recording this on Tuesday, the day after the Knicks game, the wolves are practicing today. And oftentimes when they come home from the road, they have that day off. And I think that Chris Finch is understanding that there are just a lot of things that the wolves need to really hone in on and sharpen up. And so you are seeing the coaching staff respond to the sloppier play with more practice to try and get things going and and see if they can kind of rediscover the sharpness that was there earlier in the season. Good stuff from John, as always. Thanks to Brandon. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.